that doesn't mean that I don't believe. You believe in it? No, I don't believe in the supernatural. You don't believe that any there's anything be, beyond beyond, what, the, you, beyond beyond no. the natural that you are aware of right Cor- now. No, no, no. That, uh, that's very different. That's very different. I believe there's nothing beyond the natural. <laughs> Wait, hang world. on, hang on, everyone, everyone. Mark just sneered at me. I did sneer a little bit. <laughs> I, I apologize. Fucking, he fucking sneered at me, everyone. <laughs> Sorry. It really was. You triggered my philosophy bone. Oh, it wasn't <laughs> just like, no. It wasn't just a, it wasn't just a sneer. It was a sneer and a point. Oh yes, I did. I might have gestured with my index finger, which honestly, you're lucky that's the one I chose. Everyone, <laughs> the audacity. Yes. Okay. Go so ahead. sorry, sorry. Oh, no, that I was lost hilarious. my train of thought. Yes. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Extemporaneous. This is a podcast where I come up with an idea, I do some research, I grab a bottle of wine, I bring everything to Mark, and then he pontificates. Tonight, we are going to do part two of our arc on death. It's really going to be a conversation about consciousness and what is consciousness and whether or not consciousness can transcend the death of the body. As a point of reference, we've been looking at a book by journalist Leslie Keen called Surviving Death. A journalist investigates evidence for an afterlife, which came out in March of 2017, as well as a companion documentary that is currently streaming on Netflix called also Surviving Death. And it is based on that book, and it is uh, directed by Ricky Stern. That came out in January of 2021. We thank you very much for coming and listening to us each week. If you like us, we encourage you to please share us with a friend. Please follow us on all of our social media. We're having a lot of fun on TikTok. We have Facebook. We have Instagram. We have Twitter. I don't know. We have it all. Find it in our link tree, which will be in our episode notes. Hi, Mark Snedeker. Hello, Christina LaRusso. Oh my goodness, that sounds very spooky. Yeah, which I'm is... speaking to you from the great beyond. Oh! <laughs> which in this instance is across the table. Uh, which is across the table. But okay. it's the table of death. It's the table of de- the table of death, my God. Okay, so this could be a very quick podcast. Great. Because See ya. <laughs> No, because you would say, I would say, is there a possibility that consciousness extends beyond death? And your answer is... Nope. Mm-hmm. So. Well, okay. There's a possibility, but it doesn't. Well, how do you know? Because there's not sufficient reason to believe otherwise. It really hasn't been something that has rigorously been studied. Oh, sure it has. No, it has not. I've studied it for minutes. <laughs> I Googled it just before we got here. So, as usual, I've done the reading, but you have actually watched some of the documentary with me. I watched as much of it as you made me watch. Um, and so we're going to use that as kind of a jumping off point. Right on. But give me a quick hot take, not on death, not on life after death, but on consciousness. Because this is obviously sure. something you would have studied in philosophy as a philosophy it, it is. major. Right. So uh, most people, most some people like to think of consciousness as kind of the man in the theater. Right? That's you have your body, you have everything that's going on in your brain, but consciousness is some kind of mysterious guy that's watching all of it, right? Like it's a guy. Um Who who thinks that? That's oh, almost that's... everybody. They they always think of consciousness that way as separate from 
their sensory inputs and processing the data. Like there's something else called consciousness that's like a guy. They're just watching all this. They're over and above, you know, the sense data that we receive. Like, okay, my finger got burned. Well, instead of just saying, well, it's just my, you know, uh, my nerve endings and my, you know, uh, brain uh, reacting to the intense heat on that part of my body. You know, instead of that, they're like, well, my fingers transmitted the pain to or the sensation of pain to me. Mm -hmm. Why are you shaking your head? Because I disagree with you. Well, that's great. But guess what? Some people do think this. I'm, I didn't say I, you thought this. I know. Don't so you get don't upset. get to, you don't get to disagree with Mark, that. Mark, tighten up. They, you don't get to disagree. Everybody, Mark needs to tighten up. Oh, I'm super tight. <laughs> tight like a tiger. <laughs> um, so a lot of people think of, of it as, you know, some kind of other, right? Mm-hmm. It's some kind of something other than or in addition to your physical self. For me, consciousness is fairly simply defined as... The collection of all the experiences I have, right? All the data that comes into uh, my mind, all the thoughts that I have, that's my consciousness. And at some point, I stop receiving data. I stop experiencing anything uh, at all. And that's death. Okay, so I I have a different take on it. I, I mean, I, but right. I think that there's something more that is is contemplative. And that is self-aware because anything can have a nerve reaction to being burned. Anything, mm-hmm. but but humans are very special in the way that we can reflect on who we are and what is happening to us and what has happened to us in the past and what will happen to us in the future, maybe. And then also, you know, contemplate the fact that we are mortal and we are going to die. And um, I, I don't know. I think that there's something more than just... So you want nerve to, endings, you but want I to, don't think it's like some guy in a theater. Well, it's just a metaphor. You know that I don't I really know. think that there's a guy in a theater. No, right? I know. I know that's a metaphor. <laughs> I know it's a metaphor, but I I don't subscribe to that metaphor. Okay, well, so do you think for you consciousness is just uh, you know, uh, self-awareness? Well, no. I mean, it's more than that. It's it's in my mind the way that I think about it, and I don't know that I'll be able to to elegantly articulate this. Oh, we'll get there. Don't you worry. But I think that it is, I think that it is, it goes beyond just senses. I think those are a part of it. But I do believe that there is something else that is special about consciousness. Now, I think that some people might conflate consciousness and the soul. And I don't know that I necessarily do that. Maybe it's the same thing. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I don't. I don't have any way to to prove that. But I just think that there's awareness and self awareness. I think that that is is a huge huge part of it. And I and I don't know. Well, and this the whole conversation that this is going to lead to is whether or not that element of consciousness can move beyond the death of the body and still exist in a self-aware way external to a human body. Okay, so let me ask you a couple of questions. Um, I assume you're going to distinguish this is between... the Socratic portion of the evening. Oh, that's right. I will not be drinking poison. Later, <laughs> but, um, so uh, I assume you would differentiate conscious the way you just... Consciousness the way you just described it and... Being conscious, right? Being awake. Yeah, being and aware. So there's a so there's a difference between awake and aware, right? Mm, yeah. Is there? I, I don't guess. know. Sure, you, I guess you could be awake. I mean, and you can unaware. be awake and not self-aware. 
I think that there are people in the world who are more self-aware than others. I think that there are, and maybe consciousness exists on a continuum. Carl Jung said that there was a shared unconscious that everybody taps into. Do you know who else said that? Hmm. Sting. (laughs) Do you know why Sting said that? Uh, He liked Jung, I guess. (laughs) I I mean, and that's obviously a very different conversation about what sort of what's in the unconscious. Well, do you think think, only humans are conscious? To the extent that we are, yes. I don't believe that there's... I don't know. Like, maybe whales and dolphins and stuff have a little well, bit more I mean, self-awareness. So what, so what part of consciousness do you think Mozart doesn't have? Your dog. Yeah. I, he can't contemplate his death. So you, so you think that consciousness is receiving all that sense data, plus you can think about your own death. Well, not just that you can think about your own death, but that is a portion of it. That there's this sort of self-awareness, and maybe in some cases it's crippling. Because maybe the ability to be able to understand that you're mortal and that you're going to die is really just a terrible, terrible burden like that, Hamlet. That, that people like Hamlet. carry. Right? So he's so burdened by self-examination and thoughts of mortality and, uh, you know, uh, the shitty things that are happening to him and the consequences of his action that he just is frozen in inactivity and can't, uh, you know, take action or, or, you know, truly live. I think that you can, yeah, I think that you can get there. I also think that there's a point where people can um, really do great things with self-reflection, right? So so you become very self-actualized and you, you sort of incorporate again, referencing Jung, all of the things that are sort of in your unconscious, not the shared unconscious, but the individual unconscious, and reintegrate that into your conscious self and work on, on all of that and bring bring everything together and you become this just really, not transcendent person, because but but somebody who's very self-aware and can navigate the, the world and, and life in a in a elevated way. I don't there are no animals I I think that can do that other than humans. I'll buy that. I mean, we're certainly we're more intelligent, right? And we have greater uh, capacity for like you said, abstract self-reflection, thought. abstract thought. We're, although we're not the only ones that can do abstract thought, but you know, we do to it to the, the best. level that we can do it. Well, I, you know. Again, that's just a matter of degree though, right? Yeah. But so so you think that the reason Mozart is not a conscious being is because he can't contemplate abstract things like his own death. No, I think that your question to me is why is why is he not as conscious? I'm not saying he's Well, I'm he's, just asking, is it a matter of degree or is it something truly transcendent and different about humans that you want to identify? I think that humans are different. I do. I think that humans are different. And that's that little guy in the theater watching it all happen. No, it's not a guy in a theater. For the purpose of discussing this subject, let's talk about consciousness as something that is to do with self-awareness. I think that there might be something to do with personality. That right, because you have to make it individual, right? Yeah. It's not just some sea of consciousness that we're all dipping our our ladles into. All the, unless you, you're young, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's but, only in the unconscious, yeah. though. But, and that's, um, and that's symbols. So it's got to be like the collection of all your life experiences, right? All yeah. the experiences you've had personally all the thoughts you've had, your personality. Yeah, so there's got to be some sort of individuality about that consciousness. And so then the question becomes, does this consciousness, that with the personality of the person and the memories and the life experience of that person, does that die at the time that the person's body died and it, and that energy just dissipates and goes away? So that 
That's a good question. So where do you feel like consciousness resides? I lean towards something, but I, I, I know that many people think that consciousness is, is inextricably linked to the brain and the function of the brain. And I disagree with that. I think that there's... I disagree with it, too. I think that there's something else. And I think that if it's not attached to the brain, but only uses... It, it expresses itself through the brain. But I think that when the body dies, I don't know that it's necessary, necessarily tethered to... I sound like a lunatic. I know I do. No, but 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 that I don't think it's necessarily tethered to the body. I think that it can, in some cases, go on and move out beyond the body. So That's you have to then say that consciousness is not dependent on the body. In fact fact, may reside elsewhere, unless you think it travels from the body out into something else. Maybe it is external to the body, and it is, and the body is just this sort of like a, a phone that then telegraphs the consciousness of whatever that body's consciousness is, or personality that comes out through. I know this sounds nuts, but I'm telling you, reading this book and, and it's making doing, you this, nuts. <laughs> doing this research, it really made me think about it, and yeah. I, had, I have to say that there's some stuff that, that was explored that I went... How could that happen? Maybe there's a finite pool of consciousness that each human body taps into. I, I have no idea. It's pretty complicated metaphysics there, girl. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I really don't. I Honestly, I, I have no answer for this. But this this subject was really making me think about it. Yeah. All right. So quickly, let's just kind of touch on what's going on in the book. Um, the book is called Surviving Death, A Journalist Investigates Evidence for an Afterlife. It was published in March, uh, on March 7th of uh, 2017, and it is not at all journalistic. She is a journalist, but she does not come come at it from an unbiased journalistic perspective. This is her first book. Then she has a, a next book. Her ne her second book uh, was a New York Times bestseller called UFOs. Generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record. Um, and so she's she's kind of into the... Kooky, in search of different, type of stuff. Different, yeah. It's a very in search of vibe, okay? Yeah. And definitely, definitely the book was that way, and definitely the Netflix documentary was very in search of it. What is her position on... Uh ancient aliens assisting us <laughs> I do to building the know. pyramids I don't think such. I don't know. I didn't read her UFO book, but maybe maybe she goes on the record about something yeah. like that. Okay, so she says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote her a little bit at length here. Um, While exploring the evidence for an afterlife, I witnessed some unbelievable things that are not supposed to be possible in our material world. Yet, they were unavoidably and undeniably real. Despite my initial doubt, I came to realize that there are still aspects of nature, which are neither understood nor accepted, even though their reality has profound implications for understanding the true breadth of the human psyche and its possible continuity after death. Well, that's a lot. Well, it is a lot. And really what she's saying is we just don't, we don't, we don't know enough. And she talks about, she was very interesting and I knew that this would provoke you. One of the things that she said is she's not coming at this study from a place of dogma. And she goes, neither religious nor scientific. Okay, so there is no scientific dogma. Dogma is by definition non-unscientific in nature. Now, it is it possible for a scientist to wrongly accept certain principles as dogma and therefore be closed to other possibilities? Of course, but it's not correct to say that there's like scientific dogma. There's scientific, there's accepted scientific belief, right, or scientific theories 
there is uh, generally accepted uh, truths. That, that always makes me nervous when people say that because then what they're really trying to do is cut off any possible criticism from scientific community. Right. Well, she does do that a little bit, but actually there are points where she'll even, she'll pre, she'll just jump in and say, you know what, science is going to ding me for this and here's, you know, here's, here's yeah. what it is. And then she'll, you know, so she comes clean in some places, but in other, she's just, she's got a lot of blinders on. But her main thesis, ultimately, and the conclusion that she comes to is that consciousness is an individual thing that transcends the body after death. And we don't know for how long, but is at some point in a place where there is possibility for communication to happen with the, the living world. So she says consciousness, whatever it is, is still accessible for a certain amount of time for interaction. And then, additionally, it's not clear what happens to it. Does it go to join some big universal consciousness? Or does it then get recycled back into a new life on Earth or wherever, right? Like, when, in whatever, no doubt she believes in the multiverse. Oh, 100%. So, so, so I feel like it could be going anywhere. I, I, I say Earth, but, you know, why, why would I presuppose? to say right, that. Right, why would you? I, I don't know. But anyway, okay, so so that's what her, her premise is, and she, she sets about to prove this. In order to prove it, she has us visit with mediums. She has a, a discussion with people who've had experienced past lives. She goes deep into like um, like like these medium readings and these psychic psychic abilities and what does it all mean um, to because could the psychic there's so many could they would they maybe did they is it the psychic or not the psychic but the medium who has highly developed what they call psi abilities which is like esp and the ability to kind clairvoyance of clairvoyance and clairvoyance and all the rest yes so they say well maybe the medium has that and they're really just drawing the information from whomever they're interacting with in the real world Rather than some consciousness that's right. someplace off in some weird limbo, wherever they, wherever that may be, or however that may be. There's a complete lack of rigor in these tests. They're impressive tricks, or maybe they look impressive, but there's a complete lack of rigor in examining them. These mediums and these seances and all this stuff is not being examined rigorously and they set up the rules so that you can't say well this particular kind of seance needs absolute darkness and no camera <laughs> right i'm like oh well that's convenient of course it i mean if i was trying to pull shit on somebody i'd say by the way right. uh disproving me will super make it not work now that is that is true and that comes out much more clearly in the documentary. Yeah. So. Oh, sorry. I, I keep switching. No, no, no. There. And it's yeah. okay because the documentary. Because that's the, the only thing I, lo I yeah, watch. Yeah. The so. doc. No, the documentary and the book lay lay on top of one another. It's very. Whoa. No, it's like it's it's very easy. <laughs> yeah. There's there's more detail obviously in the book. Right. Now the book brings actually a lot more detail and it's a lot more compelling. Because of the way that I think it's presented in And plus, print. you don't have to hear them do the stupid voices. And then you don't have to see with your yeah. own two eyes. Like, it's easier in your mind to imagine that to be true yeah. and effective. Although, even in the in the, in the the book, she goes into the, the trance mediums. Yeah. And it's still, it sounds, it's like so fantastical. Although, they do pull some stuff out of the air. I don't know how they do it, but they well, do. Well, keep in mind. So, I mean, you know, social media exists. 
accomplices exist, guesswork exists, right? Mm-hmm. But the the other thing that they do to kind of reduce the amount of scrutiny they're under is they make the observer part of the necessary formula for success. You have to say, you have to believe it. You have to have such and such feelings. You have to bring the vibrations, right? You have to think hard. And that puts the onus a bit on the participant. And if then it doesn't work, it's like, well, you didn't believe in it. Of course it didn't work. Okay, so one thing that you keep doing, you you keep making examples of things that she actually addresses in the book in a convincing way. Well, how the fuck would I know that? No, you wouldn't. I'm, I'm telling you right now, Mark. Okay, so my point is is that you have, um, you, you keep saying there's no rigor, there's no study, there's nothing like, you know, there is. You just, you haven't seen that there is. There is. As a matter of fact, there's a school, I don't know, it's a small hometown university in Charlottesville, Virginia. So there's a big problem. First of all, that is a fly-by-night university. <laughs> It's only been around for like 200 years or some shit. <laughs> what? It's full of wahoos. <laughs> and not in a good way. I mean, I mean, that's all you have to really say is like, oh, there's reputable... Su- oh, it's UVA. <laughs> well. <laughs> so at the University of Virginia, there is the Dis- Division of Perceptual Studies. Dodge was founded in 1967 by Ian Stevenson. He had an interest in parapsychology and in particular got intrigued by reports of young children saying that they had a memory of a past life. The assumption is that when your brain dies, your mind perishes also. That is so deeply believed that scientists fail to understand that it is, in the end, an assumption only. And uh, there's no reason uh, why aspects of the mind shouldn't survive the death of the brain. Founded in 1967 by Dr. Ian Stevenson, the Division of Perceptual Studies is a highly productive university-based research group devoted to the investigation of phenomena that challenge mainstream scientific paradigms regarding the nature of the mind-brain relationship. Researchers at DOPS are focused on studying phenomena related to consciousness functioning beyond the confines of the physical body and phenomena that suggest continuation of consciousness after physical death. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. Now, let's talk seriously. Now, for the entrapment, we're going to have to ask you for four big ones, $4,000 for that. But we are having a special this week on proton charging and storage of the beast. And that's only going to come to $1,000, fortunately. $5,000? I had no idea to be so much. I won't pay it. Well, that's all right. We can just put it right back in there. Thank oh, you. We... What was that guy's name? Dr. Peter Venkman from UVA? Is that where he landed? Okay. Holy shit. All right. Get your act together, UVA. No. Okay. Now, so... look, I have no problem studying those things, right? But let me see some results that came out of there, and let's look at what they what their methodology was and blah, blah, blah. All right. right. All right. All right. All right. So let's do that. Bring so, it. One of the big subjects in, in this book and in the documentary, is the concept of near-death experience. A near-death experience, sometimes called an NDE, 
is a profound experience that many people have when they come close to death. Probably between 10 and 20% of people whose hearts actually stop will report these dramatic near-death experiences. In, the, in these segments in the book and, and, and doing other research as well as, as and looking at the documentary, describe a near-death experience as they describe it. In the 1960s and 70s, resuscitation medicine really got started which means we were bringing people back from the brink of death in larger and larger numbers. Patients say they become aware of what's described as a tunnel, a passageway, a portal, and they go into this tunnel. And when they come out, they come out into a very brilliant, warm, loving, and accepting light. So uh, you're on the operating table, right? They're starting to lose you. So they're pounding on your chest, doing it, whatever they're doing. And you start to experience a certain disembodiment a lot of times. They will think that they're going down a hallway or a tunnel, rather, with a light at one end, or they are meeting uh, relative, long-dead relatives, or they feel like they're hovering above the operating table watching uh, them work on you. Uh you know, that's that sort of thing, the near-death experience where you feel like you're experiencing some kind of supernatural phenomenon. Now, to be clear, these are people who, who die. These are not, they are, they, their brain, well, their brain function has ceased. Yeah. Their heart has stopped beating. They are dead. They have no more brain function. They're totally unconscious in that mortal coil. And yet, they are at some points, mo minutes, like five minutes, at some times, 35 minutes at some point longer than that. There was somebody who was, um, they talked about who had hypothermia. Yeah. And somehow was probably dead for a long stretch of the night, mm -hmm. but like frozen also. So, it's, yeah. you know, so, so they were able to revive, revive that person. And it was like thousands of years later, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> I am a caveman lawyer. So. She was without any blood going to her brain for about an hour. The EEG or the brainwave goes totally flat. There is no brain activity at all, which presumably means there's no brain function at all during that time. These people then, when they revive, a portion of them, not 100%, have had an experience of some sort of consciousness after, right. after, the, after death. Those people who have these big experiences frequently, as you said, float above, they're sort of in the operating room and they're looking down at what's happening. My vantage point was rather like sitting on the shoulder of the surgeon and I was free to move around at will. Now her eyes were taped shut for the entire procedure and she had molded earpieces in her ears, but she described the tools they were using to saw through her skull and that was something that she hadn't seen before or after. I saw in Dr. Spetzler's hand an instrument that reminded me suspiciously of an electric toothbrush. There was a case very close to it, and it had bits that looked like the case that my father kept his socket wrenches in. They come back and they say, well, I, was, I could see everything that was happening across the room, yeah, where so. a person who would be prone in a bed would have no way of knowing seeing because remember the body is dead their eyes aren't working their ears aren't working their brain is not working they're dead <clears throat> and they're floating above themselves looking down and they can see things and they can repeat things that happened and all right so i think it's important to interject that first of all just i mean that's anecdotal 
if it's a convincing anecdote, okay, that's fine. But I w- again, I I think that we have they give you these general impressions of what these interviews are like. But I think the if we actually took a case and you know rigorously dissected it, it would be less convincing than it sounds. Her neurosurgeon said he can't understand how this could possibly happen. Her ability to describe what went on during surgery is inconceivable to me, considering the state that she was in. Pam Reynolds was clinically dead. But here's what I will say. Mm -hmm. First of all, for me, consciousness is not just in the brain. Mm -hmm. Right? The body is a distributed system, Mm -hmm. and not all the thinking, emotions, or whatever happen in the brain. Your guts, for example. I bet at some point someone has told you to trust your gut instinct, right? Which means listen to your inner voice, your intuition. And if you're good and you're experienced at this, you know that it's oftentimes correct, even more so maybe than your conscious mind. There's power in the gut, and science actually backs this up, this theory that there's two brains. Guts can make you make decisions, can, make, can influence emotions, can communicate you know, information. Now, the brain does handle most of the heavy lifting, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it's not true to say that everything is residing in the brain. The gut operates on the enteric nervous system, or the ENS. Well, the brain operates on the central nervous system, the CNS. Now, both share over 30 identical neurotransmitters. In fact, over 90% of the body's serotonin is in the gut, and approximately 50% of it's dopamine. This thing, the ENS, the CNS, they communicate together, but this is interesting because the ENS can operate autonomously. Now, the ENS and the CNS communicate via the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve, when severed, the ENS can continue to function. Although we do, since the brain is so important, we do take cessation of brain activity very seriously, right? But that doesn't mean that it's impossible. I just think that people leap to the supernatural solution or, or, or explanation far too quickly without sufficient evidence. Let's say, for example, patient A is on the table. They experience cessation of brain activity. The heart stops. Some doctor says, Jesus fucking Christ. And then the patient is revived some short time later or whatever. And in recovery, they're like, did somebody say Jesus fucking Christ? And everybody flips out and says, that must be supernatural, right? Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Their ears are still open. The air still vibrates the tympani or whatever the fuck it does, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't know for sure that that chemical information, even though it hasn't traveled and been processed by the brain, isn't still somehow available later down the road. I mean, and I don't know if that's the explanation or not, right? But that's a reasonable explanation, is that somehow we have some hard drive uh, capability or, or RAM capability that when the brain comes back online, it can retrieve and process. As far as the fantastic, here's what I was doing while you guys thought I was dead type of stories, I think that it's entirely possible. I'm not a neurologist yet. Um, <laughs> in your spare time. I am time. an award-winning neurologist <laughs> without a degree or in any awards in neurology. <laughs> but I have won awards, so... Um, but I think it's also possible that the brain tries to make sense of things. Mm-hmm. And if there is a gap of t- in time of sensory data, I think it's extremely likely that whatever mechanisms we use to create dreams can reconstruct something to fill that space of time. Mm-hmm. So I think it's entirely possible that, first of all, especially if you expect 
the tunnel of light, that the brain may be kind of predisposed to give you that, to fill these gaps in time where you're not getting any sense data. Mm -hmm. But for me, those things uh, are equally well explained and more likely explained by In a materialist physical, way. Yeah, exactly, by physical phenomenon. Because, Mark, you're a materialist. Well, I am a... I, yeah, I'm a, I'm, I do not believe in the supernatural. That doesn't mean that I don't believe... You don't believe in it? No, I don't believe in the supernatural. You don't believe that any, there's anything be, beyond, beyond, what, the, you, beyond, beyond nope. the natural that you are aware of right Cor now? No, no, no. Offense. I don't believe... You, you can't say, Mark, you only believe in the natural world that you're aware of. I am fully cognizant of the fact that there are billions and billions of things that I don't know mm -hmm. that still exist, mm -hmm. right? I don't know anything about, you know, uh, what it's like to eat phosphorus, right? <laughs> but I'm sure it's a real thing, right? I, I just don't know what it's like. I don't know anything about it. And there are plenty of things I'm sure that I don't even know because I don't know what they are. So I, I allow for the possibility that there are things in the universe that I don't know exist, mm -hmm. that do exist. Mm -hmm. But they if they are outside of our understanding of the physical universe, uh -huh. you have to have some evidence to believe in them. Okay. And I but I don't believe we've I don't think we've ever had any convincing evidence of anything that's not subject to the physical laws of the universe. How do you know if you don't know? You don't know that there's uh, something that we can't But I just I did can't... what I just said was I we have not we've not had any convincing evidence of it. Therefore, I don't believe in it. There is no good reason or, let's say, insufficient reason to believe in these in spiritual... In your mind, though. Well, of course, it's the only one I've got. <laughs> okay. It's a great one, though. <laughs> let me tell you. It's a good... It's a nice place to live. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I, if there's not sufficient reason to believe in something, you don't believe in it. People okay. are like... And, and it's a, I hate that argument where you're like, well, you don't know. Well, okay, no, but I know... <laughs> I know that there's no reason <laughs> to believe in it. It's a fair argument. It's a fair argument. But, they, but see, people don't really believe things like that, right? Because if I was like, uh, uh, do you believe in unicorns? You would say no, right? No, and, and, I, I no, don't believe You'll pretend in... now you're going to act like you're just being skeptical, but no. you don't believe in unicorns. No, right? I don't believe in... Do unicorns in... exist here on Earth? No. They I don't know. They could I, exist. I mean, they may. They may. That's right. But see, that's exactly what I'm talking about. We don't hold but see, ourselves. I am easier to, and maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe it's a personality type thing, and maybe that's what they should be studying. These scientists. Well, because, I'm a, I'm a dragon scorpion. Well, this is all. So. No, this is. No, this is all wrapped up. It's actually all wrapped up. Usually, like in psych or psych adjacent, mm -hmm. there are some like neurologists that are getting into this right. kind of thing. As well, too. they should. Um, to try and better understand the mind and, and how it works. No, I think that it, it, it fits it fits in perfectly with okay, so let's talk about the let's talk about the scientists now. So this is an article They aren't UVA scientists, are they? No, this is well I don't know where this this is an article by Wahoo Stephanie Pappas for for Live Science. And she she's talking about the the documentary and also the book, and she is pointing out that near death experiences have been studied, and there is some evidence that people may experience consciousness when doctors don't expect them to. Okay, so what that says to me is that the scientists are going to go in now and and start taking a look at this and try and figure out what's going on in the brain that we don't understand. What's going on in the material world? That's the rational that approach. That we don't understand. That yes, we don't understand. That is the rational right, okay. approach. So I think it's down. It's down to a personality thing. 
And and here it is. <laughs> it is that. Are you going to insult me right no, now? No, no. like you might. No, I think that there are some personality types that have a psychology that allows for more, like, stretchiness in... You have a malleable brain? Yeah, like, not even malleable. Not that it can be, well, easily manipulated, maybe. I don't know. But, but maybe it's just more open to these things. And people like you, very materialistic. You're just, like, very rigid. You're, like, it's, well, it's, what, it's yeah. the most logical, it's, the it's, rational. You know, you have this concept of ration, rationality that you, you define. Yeah, let's call it naturalistic because uh, materialistic makes it sound like I'm greedy, which I probably also am. <laughs> <laughs> I do like nice things. I like a good meal. But um, yeah, so I, yeah, I, beyond the the universe, there's not other stuff because we have no evidence of other stuff. And I think another thing that you really do need to take into account, and this isn't especially scientific, but there is so much fraud surrounding this subject. Like you, you know, they've been they've proven so many, so many frauds. Yeah. That you really do have to have a, you know, really healthy skepticism when it comes to these things. Okay. Okay. So let let's let's round out the near death experience portion of the discussion. Right. Okay. Scientists have said, well, you know, we got to figure out what's going on, whether it's in the brain that we just don't understand what's going on with the brain, or maybe there is something more that by looking at how we, you know, the body interacts with the with the world, um, then then we'll be able to see, you know, what something more. There's something that exists beyond. Well, I have a theory. Well, hang on. So okay. So now what they're doing? What so they wow, squashed? <laughs> crushed my theory. No, hang on. Hold on to your theory. Okay. Nope, it's gone. <sighs> All right, so they say in the, in this article, um, but studying the moment of death in humans is challenging, and no one has conclusively shown the mechanism behind near-death experiences. Dr. Sam Parnia, Director of Critical Care and Resuscitation Research at New York University Langon Medical Center? Langon? L-A-N-G-O-N? G-O-N-E. Langone? Well, who knows? Medical Center? I think that's a makeup company. <laughs> surveyed, surveyed, survi- surveyed survivors of cardiac arrest and found that... Say that again. Surveyed survivors? Surveyed survivors of cardiac arrest and found that of the 140 interviewees, 46% had a sense of being conscious during the event. Some had memories that appeared to have originated from the intensive care unit after the person's heartbeat had been reestablished. Unlike in the, in the movies, cardiac arrest patients are typically unconscious in the hospital for days or weeks after the resuscitation. Yeah. For instance, people who reported feeling that hostile beings were torturing them were probably undergoing a common hallucination that occurs when people are being brought out of sedation and having having their breathing tubes removed. By demons. (laughs) No, hang on. No, sometimes they do that. Okay, so a little bit more about what science is actually doing to study this. This Outside of those jackholes in Charlottesville. (laughs) No, no. Oh, these are are the jackholes. No, no, no. These are doctors. These are these are doctors. Um, Doctor Jackhole. So they 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 have doctors have seen cases. They they're charting and and tracking cases. Um, and they they in in particular um. In this case, they described full details of what is happening to them, the person who had died. And in one of those cases, we managed to confirm uh, the details for the first time as happening during a course of up to five minutes when this person was was dead, technically dead. And he said, this is surprising as the cerebral cortex typically shuts down within two to 20 seconds of losing oxygen. 
So they're now trying to explore this phenomenon and they're doing it in a systematic way because you're not wrong. They have to, they have to apply this, the sort of laws of science to this. And so they've, uh, they haven't published yet, but researchers have been bringing a computer into the rooms of patients in cardiac arrest to deliver audio and visual I'm on my way. I'm leaving. Uh, Fuck you guys. Visual stimulation. With your UVA techno. I'm out. (laughs) During the resuscitation. The idea, Parnia says, is to test uh, awareness by delivering a random word or set of words as a sort of prime. If the person survives and regains consciousness, the researchers ask them to name a word in that category to see if they're more likely than patients not shown a word to come up with a word that was shown as they were flatlining. The researchers are also monitoring the brain activity of patients during the resuscitation process. So they're doing it. I mean, they there are scientists doing specifically like around right, which I which, which is perfectly reasonable, right? I would sever. I'm. I hope nobody thinks my position is we shouldn't even be studying this. Let's do something cool like warp speed or something, right? <laughs> which, by the way, that we should be really be cool. working on warp I mean, speed. That'd be awesome, please. But um, <laughs> lasers, more better lasers. Um, but you know, they definitely should be studying that because that will lead to greater understanding of you know. Uh, biology and neurology, uh, you know, whatever. But, again, if you are going to make the claim, the leap, that instead of something, you know, physical happening in the body, you have to at least eliminate that, uh, uh, you know, conclusively as a possibility. Oh, no, I agree. And that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that I'm wondering if there is a, you know, by disproving, you know, like kind of going through all of the, is there is there a point in the process where someone finally says, okay, we've, we've exhausted it? Right. Or do you just keep going, no, we just don't understand what we don't understand well, about the human body or about well, the world we can I think, see? I think I have an answer. Okay. So my answer is, if you can't offer a well-supported alternative, you have to say you don't know. Yeah. You can say, you know, you, you have to be, you know, very Occamy. Right, you have to be able to not start creating elaborate explanations for something that you don't have sufficient evidence for. Uh huh. Like you could say, look, we've decided that gravity is instead of being a you know distortion of space time by objects with mass, mm-hmm. is really invisible fairies that are extremely alert and anything. <laughs> That looks like it should fall, they grab and immediately drag towards the center of the earth. All right? Now, that is a consistent theory, right? You can you can explain the data that way, but you've needlessly invented invisible fairies. So just like if, let's say we determine that we can't figure out anything in the brain that is... Uh, offering, you know, that's giving these people access to this information, Mm -hmm. you cannot reasonably then make the leap that there's life after death or consciousness is somehow, you know, going to survive your body. You can't do that leap because you don't have any good reason to believe that. All you know is you don't know how they're doing it. No, I don't disagree with you, but I think that this way that they're going about it from in the science. Oh yeah, the science is good. Is is to just go through and say what is it that we don't you know like let us figure out everything about the brain. Right, but the 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 ding dong award winning journalist isn't doing that. Well, 
I mean, she recognizes the sign. See, that's, see, this is the difference, though. And this is what I was talking about before, about the difference in personality types. If you are a person who is very logically minded like you and where you're very much empirical yeah. and you're, you know, and and I am to an extent, but I'm, I am more likely, as I think we've shown throughout every episode, I'm more open to, like, okay, d yeah, okay, study the brain, but also maybe try and come at it from a different perspective as well. I accept your surrender. No, you're, what are you talking <laughs> about? What surrender? There's no I, I surrender assume you are there. surrendering to my superior no. uh, logic and no, I'm saying that you are your type of no, you're your type of person, and I, and I'm saying that they're, that they're just other you know other types of people who who think I mean this is Captain Obvious stuff, Mark. I agree, there are different types of people in the world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you and know some what of them I mean? aren't as good as me. <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? I mean, yes, I do. Of course, know, I there do. are people that, course, that are every, very empirically yeah. minded like you right. are, and then there are people that are more open to possibility. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, the, Look, those of I'm us, open to possibility. But it just seems so rigid to say, no, this is it. No, you no, know, no. I'm, well, because that is what Are you the afraid? State, yes, that's Oh, my it. God. Are you afraid of ghosts, Mark? No. You know why? Oh. Because <laughs> there aren't any. I'm also not afraid of unicorns. So. Oh, my God. I don't lack imagination. I mean... I read and consume way more fantasy and science fiction entertainment than you do. Way more. Okay, but it's so interesting because our views of the world are totally switched. Because you would think, because I don't like that, I, I like to read history. That's all yeah. I really like to, to read is, is just history. Yeah. Um, then... Uh, you know, like how about you, history of the elves in Middle, <laughs> in Middle Earth? <laughs> no, but I—that I mean, like I'm—I'm I'm a very logical-minded person that way. Right. But but you're a total fruitcake when it comes to science. No, I'm not. I mean, no, I—I I understand. I just—I just don't. I don't like. Look, I'm gonna. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna I, spill I'm a, some tea. I'm gonna spill some tea here. Oh. I know you guys may not know this, but Christina is very smart. <laughs> She's not just my laugh track, obviously, because she does all the research and everything for this show. So certainly the fact that she has a different approach to these things than I do does not mean that I think she's dumb. She's not. She's wrong, but she's not dumb. Oh, well, and we, well, in the fullness of time and everything, we will see. Maybe my more relaxed view of things is, is the smarter one because I don't get entrenched. I'm not like sitting here going... Like the God thing. I don't want to go back through the whole thing, but I mean, you're like sitting here saying, no, it doesn't exist. No. Sure doesn't. It, you don't know it doesn't. It yeah. might. Oh, yeah? Unicorns? Mark, they may exist. But you don't think they do. I don't believe that they do, but it's I can imagine that they would. Well, I can imagine God. All, no problem. That's easy. Well, actually, it is a little bit of a problem. But. Oh, God. Anyway, okay. No, back off of God. Okay, so, so from what I can tell... The real science is is now behind things like the near death experiences, right. and then also um, reincarnation. How is real science studying reincarnation? <laughs> well, it's you. I read to you about it at UVA. Oh, those guys! Like, the, don't roll your eyes. <laughs> I thought we established oh that they are flakes. No, no, we. That's a. That's a whole department that there are neurologists that are joining in these studies well, with they those should be ashamed of themselves psych folks look okay i mean you can study reincarnation if you want i don't know how you're going to do that aha uh -huh. okay yeah I let's have hear answers. it so some of them the most one of the most fascinating segments of the book and the episodes in the documentary was the study of reincarnation 
And the way that they study this is they have, like, you have little kids starting, like, at one and a half, two years old, who start having memories of their past lives. No, they don't. What are you talking about? No, they don't. Where are they learning the stuff that they're learning? They have, so, okay. This is First of all, wait, I'd have to read. You have a specific one? Yeah, that you I'll, can ta- I'll lay tell you on one me? very, very okay. quickly. All right. Great. Here it is. So there's the there's a kid, and he's like, you know, one and a half, two years old. The story with James began with nightmares. You would wake up in the night screaming, crying. It wasn't like your typical nightmare that you would think of your baby's crying in bed. This went on for like three, four months, something like that. And then one night, he had another night terror. And all of a sudden, I heard what he was saying. It, it suddenly, I'm not sure what happened, but it clicked in my head. And he was saying, airplane crash on fire, little man can't get out. When I'd wake him up from his dream, get him settled down, I said, you, you keep dreaming about a little man. Who's the little man? And he said, me. Goes on, come to find out. And I'm like, what was the little man's name? And he said, James. So I'm like, well, your name is James. He's just, he's two. He's not processing what I'm really trying to get at. So I said, the little man have any friends or anything else? And he went, Jack, Jack Larson. He's fascinated with airplanes. He's playing with airplane toys. Right around the time James was three, he started doing the drawings. They were just this repetitive aircraft battle scene with a plane in the air. He never drew anything else. One time I said, maybe you can draw a picture of like a flower or a tree or something. So he made this battle scene, he put a flower in it. (laughs) Well, thanks, James. Then they go to like an airplane show. I loved planes in the sense that I couldn't get enough of them. I love knowing about them. I could go to an air museum and name off every plane that was there and all the specifics about every single one. I knew stuff about planes that my parents didn't when I was five or six. I don't know where else I'd get the knowledge other than firsthand experience, uh, just knowing about them inherently. It almost was like two people living inside of me. So then, I mean, he's a young kid. He's under four years old. You know, so this is like starts when he's in one and a half and it goes. And then they come and they study and they find out that these things were documented in real time because the kid was seeing a pediatrician and the mom was taking, uh, like, journaling about it and stuff. So everything was documented in real time. Researchers came in and they were able to look at all of that information and find the guy. Eventually, he went to a Natoma Bay reunion. And that's where he learned that there was one and only one pilot from the ship who was killed during the Iwo Jima operation. I called Andrea and I said, well, there was only one man killed during the Battle of Iwo Jima from this, from this ship and from this particular squadron. And his name was James M. Houston, Jr. Who died flying a certain kind of plane off of a certain named boat in the Pacific. And he died in a plane crash. And, and this guy was, like, was able, this little kid was able to, like, give all of these details. So, I have some theories. Okay, lay them on me. My first inclination was to go with the planarian worm. The planaria worm. What? Theory. <laughs> you know what the planarium worm is? No, I don't. What do you do it's a little, while I'm talking? It's a little flatworm. No, these are, this like... is just in my puddle of knowledge. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
So, do you know what the planaria worm is? No, no. Okay, it's a little flatworm. It basically, it has, it doesn't really have uh, eyes per se, but Sounds it has like... sciency. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> but it has, uh, I think it has the ability to sense light, right? So... Uh, Without th- eyes. Yeah. So, they, they, hmm. they teach a planarian, planaria, I think, or planarium, I forget, worms to go through a maze, maze, right? Mm-hmm. They, and they do this by, you know, like leading them with lights, I think, or something, and give them some kind of, I don't know, juicy flatworm reward at the end or whatever. <laughs> and they measure how long it takes them to learn how to do the maze. Then they chop them up oh, and feed Christ. them to other planarian worms. And the planarian worms that eat the worms that figured out how to get through the maze learn how to get through the maze quicker. So in this case, this but child... I dis, but I dis... I disregarded. Look, because it's basically some I kind of. I thought you were gonna say it was like some, some kind, kind of, of genetic inheritance. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's what that's what they. I think they think with the planarian worm. Now keep in mind, kidding. I learned this in school back in the seventies. Science may have advanced beyond this and has a, an alternative <laughs> explanation. There's I will allow a, a the possibility of, of that of rare humility. So, yes. <laughs> But, uh, well, that's because, like, when I was in school, like, they probably had, like, I don't know, 30 elements. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> So uh, you think that reaction. this boy at two and a half had no. genetically no. inherited I moved on from that. Ideas I tested that hypothesis the... and I rejected it. <laughs> <laughs> hypothesis number two is, is the Philip theory. Uh, is this about your nephew? Yes. So my nephew... <laughs> Is like freaky smart. <laughs> like I think I'm smart and everything. He's freaky smart. I have a YouTube video of him doing a cold reading of Hamlet's soliloquy when he's just he's between two and three. Anyway, so that's another theory is that this kid is just very very smart. Picked up the information who knows where. Internets, newspaper. He was whatever. one. He was eighteen. You he said was... he was four by the time he was. No, at, towards the end it was by. He, yeah. No, but he started. He loved airplanes. Guess what? I loved no, airplanes too. He started at two. I mean, that doesn't make no, me Amelia Earhart. He, al- <laughs> <laughs> he always would when he would play with his planes. They would always be crashing. And Guess get- what? Okay, I'll give you a little tip here. When boys play with toys, they always kill something or they crash and die. Boys always do. That's like that line from <laughs> the talented Mr. Ripley about like why when when men play, do they play at killing each other yeah, or something it's like, like if that. you give a kid like a stick, it's a gun, and he's just slaughtered a thousand people with it. That's just what we do. Toxic, so that's not, my, toxic yeah. masculinity. Yes. That, well, I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> It's just killing. Um, oh, so that's my second theory is the Philip theory. Now, maybe that's unlikely because you claim that – I think that his uh, narrative may have grown over time. I don't know that it, when he was one and a half, he was saying, oh, by my name, my name, by the way, my name is James Harrington III, and I, I, I was killed in uh, the South Pacific. Uh, <laughs> no, after nothing like that. Whatever. But that came out fairly early on. Yeah, well, okay. So, again, we don't, I don't have the specifics in front of me, so I have to just kind of theorize. Right? Yeah. So my third theory is Karen theory. Oh no! What could that be? The, How are you going to attack women who, now? Yes, here it comes, ladies. Gird your loins. Oh do women god. have loins? I guess they do. Oh my god! Mark. Do they gird them though? Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> of course, you have loins. Uh, All right, so I didn't say it. Don't say it. Who don't. among us has not read a Facebook post saying? <laughs> Johnny came to me today and said, Mom, when we die, we're going to become 
food and fuel for all the trees and flowers. So if you think about it, we're surrounded by our relatives. You know, some dumb shit like that, right? Which they could not possibly have come up with on their own. But they were either fed that or their mom just made it up. Because And there's a phenomenon of some sort behind this, right? Because the moms want to feel special. Mm-hmm. And if they've given birth to this precocious or death-defying or reincarnated kid that reflects well on them oh, that they like so that the attention are the ones and the specialness the attention in this case yeah exactly uh-huh. so they could have easily fed this kid this information or told him stories or whatever i don't know i mean you you when you hear see these are the other one this is and this is also because i actually kind of do believe if there is anything there is if there is anything that goes beyond this then it's probably <laughs> Shaking your head at me, that it's probably reincarnation. I think that okay. So here's, here's I I I I would guess I would probably be very comfortable as a Buddhist, except I don't want to come back as a bug, like a dung beetle, or something, or as a rabbit. Yeah, right. That would be too cool. <laughs> but I do I do think that I do think that you know, like if there is something more, that I think it it does become a reincarnation thing. Here's a here's my problem with this. Just because everybody always thinks that they, when they, their past lives, they were like. Yeah. First of all, everybody was always a celebrity, <laughs> right? You were the Forrest Gump of reincarnation. <laughs> I was celebrity adjacent, even. Yeah, I was, you know, Cleopatra or Hitler <laughs> or, or whatever, right? I was Joe DiMaggio, whatever you wanted to be. Coincidentally, that's who you used to be, right? But also, these people claim to have memories from a previous life. Generally, at least a hundred years ago. Not always. Yeah, no, but o- no. often. Dep- no, or- no, no. In fact, most actual, really, right. ones that they've discussed that 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 seem to be real, they are not. Um, they are not from hundreds of years ago. Yeah. They're actually from very usually like within four to ten years or something like that uh, after the after the death and even sooner maybe it was like even i think it was like two to four years or something like that here's my here's my argument against that <clears throat> this is now my fourth theory that i presented in the and last not, five minutes remember this is not a hundred years ago i understand it doesn't like, matter but it's that's some what period people, of time that's what right. most people come go and say when they're talking about it they say well i was cleopatra why right, were right. you how could you have been cleopatra these are these are actually much much shorter periods of time. The the studied reincarnations right. so here's by a, the University of Virginia. Right. So here's a couple of my problems with it. Mm-hmm. First of all, if it's some kind of spiritual essence, mm-hmm. is it affected by gravity? And if not, how does it keep up with the Earth as it's hurtling at ter- terrifying speeds through space? But that's not really my strongest argument. My strongest argument is Alzheimer's. If your memories reside in this otherworldly, whatever it is, right, spirit, let's just call it spirit, right, consciousness, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. how is it that they are destroyed by a physical ailment? I didn't say that. No, I'm just saying. But that's because the Alzheimer's attacks the brain, right? And that's where our memories are being kept. Maybe. So is this like a backup drive? Like, is this a like a thumb drive that we have, like a psychic thumb drive that we have that downloads a copy of our physical memory every so often? Ooh, I just had a wild thought, though. Oh, dear God. Here we go. Here we go. What, what if consciousness was actually conscious? What does that mean? Like the metaconscious. And knows that they have to pull out of an individual at a certain time. Out. That is a very risky strategy. And then. Pulling out is never reliable. <laughs> 
kids. And then, <laughs> and then, and then that would mean that potentially that consciousness that enters in and animates the human body then is actually the driver of everything, including the physical body's death. And then the conscious consciousness pops back out. Hi, Occam. <laughs> I, just, I just invented like 40 unnecessary uh, 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 beings for my uh, explanation. Are you cool with that? Well, guess what? Occam didn't answer because he's dead. And nobody got reincarnated as Occam of uh, Sir William of Occam. Holy crap. I think I just developed a small rash. From that that whole theory, I feel like that was on. <laughs> I know you point. love that, but I yeah, love it. it. Oh, and I can actually see it. I oh, just really you, love that theory. Yes, please draw us a diagram. <laughs> All right. Um, but okay. So for me, those two segments were by far the most compelling. Like I, I can really get behind those two segments of the idea of reincarnation. I have no problem with that at all. Mark says. Definitely not. I, I have no idea how, first of all, I have no reason to believe that it exists. I have no idea how it would, what's the mechanism of that. You know, there's all kinds of problems with it, right? Because if it's not subject to space and time, then the idea of memories is really incongruent with that. Because memories are dependent on space and time. That's how we create, that's how we distinguish events one from another. Differences in space and time and experience. So uh, there's a lot of problems with that theory. But I'm just extremely skeptical because you should be about this. This is an extraordinary explanation, as I think I have illustrated. Therefore, you need extraordinary evidence, not just some precocious kid who gave you some clues which seemed to indicate that he was they, died they, in a they plane. Gave, they gave multiple different – I mean, that was just the and one that's, again, case. Again, you know, anecdotal. Multiple, yeah. Yeah, well, but they're – Mark, everything's an anecdote until it's – not. No, I understand. Until well, it's no, to it not be, be measurable data too, right? So you know, maybe there's a way to study to see if there are uh, statistical supports for the same people being recycled over and over again. For example, now one other problem we have with that is, of course, there are uh, you know more people every year. Where they come from? Not re- not reincarnation, certainly, because there aren't enough. Be, unless they're, I guess maybe they're being promoted from dung beetle. I don't know. No, but I mean, it could just be that there's, that would imply that, yes, then, actually, that actually would go right back to my theory of that supreme conscious consciousness. But honestly, you no, I get your point, and I understand that it's not, they do have to do more research on it. They, how do they make, you know, they... Not to answer right now, but I'm just wondering, you know, like, how do they make it better? How do they make it more rigorous? That's... I, mean, I just have one question for them. Where are you on warp speed? <laughs> and if you haven't figured that one out first, maybe put reincarnation down for a while, work on warp speed, and then get back to me. So, the final thing, though, to discuss, I think, is the idea of mediums who sit between the unconscious that has now been un- the unfettered unconscious mm-hmm. which has slipped out of the body and is out there don't know how long don't know where they go afterwards don't know if they come back for another trip whatever but there's this pool of consciousness that is floating around out there and Mediums, they work for no pay and they're just hanging out as far as anyone can tell they yeah. don't you know they, everyone's good 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then, then you have the medium who stands in between, and then the material world. And so, what she's able to do. You know what I think? Do, mediums stand between. Or he. A customer's uh, kind of fantasies and their money. That's what, <laughs> I, think, that's what I think they are. All right. Okay. These mediums, whether it's man or a woman, ha- have special access that they can, in some way, communicate with the un- the consciousness out there and bring that message to people in the material world known as their sitters. So there are two kinds of mediums. Psychical research is very quickly differentiated between two kinds of mediumship. There is a mental medium. Mental mediumship demonstrates survival through communications from the medium herself. Who does her thing or his thing which is just communicate and they just Make repeat up. back what they say they're picking up from beyond. Right. Then there are the mediums who... (laughs) Physical mediumship provides evidence of survival through physical phenomena. Typically in a seance where people would sit around a table together and the table itself would vibrate or even levitate, objects suddenly appearing or disappearing in front of everybody. Physical mediumship is tantalizing because although on some occasions researchers were deeply disappointed to discover fraud, there were other sittings when a wide range of phenomena occurred that was impossible to explain away and provided a solid case for the occurrence of survival. Sit in boxes in pitch black rooms that do not allow cameras that expel ectoplasm. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Is that what they call it? That speak in weird voices. Hello, my friend. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. My name is Silver Cloud, and I'm the one will take care of the whole procedure throughout the evening. So, my friends, are you all looking forward to it? Yes. We have a lot of work to do this evening. Hi, it's Tommy. (laughs) Hi, Tommy. (laughs) How's it going, you guys? Just dead, still. Apparently, I don't have access to reincarnation. (laughs) Guess you guys got plenty of consciousness out there already, huh? I'll just keep staying here dead, helping you guys out. All right, so what Mark is doing is see, one, of the, one of the people that were on the um, episodes that we watched of the documentary had a seance where they were in the presence of this woman who was from, like, so she's from the Netherlands, and she would have, there's a, a spirit that enters her body when she goes into a trance. She sits in the the perfectly dark room everyone's around her chanting and singing and then and then spirits go into her body and she has several different familiar spirits that enter yeah. her body during this trance state and they are the ones who are then communicating this is adding an extra layer they're actually taking over her body but they're the ones speaking with and she the does loved voices. Ones on the, and then she does them in voices and one sounds like a man like this and then some other one and then she's got Tommy, and he's the eight-year-old boy. She's from the Netherlands. He's American. That's an American boy. And all the spirits she talks to speak English. Nice. <laughs> I think that's handy for it's the very... audience watching at home. It was um, very... 
I mean, no, you never hear about that. Yeah, it's like, like I want to hear like, yeah, I want to, yeah, I want to hear like, yeah, bonjour. Uh, sorry, we're gonna need an American ghost. <laughs> I don't have none of my clients speak French. These are consciousnesses beyond the. They're not ghosts. You don't talk, talk, Whatever. Don't, don't talk about okay. them like ghosts. Okay, so, so this is that's that kind. But then she she shows a couple of others. In the documentary, they look. One of them looks pretty good. She gave. She did a one-on-one reading with that that guy. Mm-hmm. The other one did a group reading, and it was very. It was very much cold read type. Like yeah, they were like, here? "How did they know about my green car? Oh, it's on my fucking Facebook." Okay, where do I start? I'm trying to get a name. Has somebody got like a David? David. Me. Yeah, that's my dad. Um, okay. Um, do you dream about Dad quite a lot? All the time. Yeah, because it gives me a feeling of visiting you in your dreams on a regular basis, wanting to assure you that he is okay. Um, also wanting... Okay. So if I handed you an orange, would that mean anything to you? Well, he was a commodity trader. He traded mm-hmm. cotton and orange mm-hmm. juice. No, yeah, no, 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 no. She would say things like, is there someone in here who has an attachment to the name John? You know, like the most normal, yeah. everyday name. Do you name. know anybody with an A in their name? Has anybody here had anyone that was a parent or parent-like yeah. figure <gasps> Yes, I had away? a parent, and they died. <laughs> How did you know? But I, Has anybody's great-grandfather died? Oh, you're, oh, everybody's has. Okay, great. But there are, um, there are, there were evidence that she brought to bear in the book that I thought, wow. And again, it's because I was reading it when she was talking about one-on-one readings. And when we saw on TV, a one-on-one reading where it did resonate with him and she, you know, you could say, I mean, God, maybe she did look on the internet. Who knows? Maybe they had a pre-interview that doesn't say, or they can lie. That's the thing. You can't rely on that kind of display as any kind of evidence of anything, especially given the, grotesque amount of fraud that has already been uncovered in that industry. Yeah. And here's the thing about mediums. And this is where I, so I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what, tell you really what I think. I don't think that you can communicate with someone from beyond the grave. I really don't think you can. Not, no, I don't think that mediums work. I don't think that's what's happening. I don't know what's happening because sometimes they pull stuff out that how would they know? But like you probably, they could Could probably find it. Could be anything. So I'm less inclined to believe in that. I think that... Well, good. We've, we'll put, at least we have one. I, and also, I don't really want that. I have, I've, you know, like within the... and it, So this could be just pure projection. I was going to say, that's that's not necessarily good, right? Because right. it's true. We do be, tend to believe things we want to believe. Right. And, and the thing is that and these I, people they're talking to want to believe. They do. And what I can't and wouldn't want was the thought that, like, there were people that were... Because a lot of times they talk about, like, they're, they're always with you. Yeah, I don't want that's that. That's creepy. Fuck. I do not want that. There are people that have died before me. I don't want around me. I'm like, Mom, I'm going to the bathroom. Oh, I just I'm in the shower. Like the idea of that lack of privacy. Okay, so yeah. that to me, that is creepy to me. I do think conscious survives the death of the body, and I think that that is out there and accessible for rebirth. I really do. I think I am getting into the idea of that's what it's... That's what it is. So there's some kind of process that governs the existence of these consciousness that then allows them to re-enter a woman's vagina (laughs) in utero 
It's a spark. It's like a. What do you mean it's like, a spark? I they, can't explain they have it. to get up the vagina somehow. No, you don't know. I mean, how does how does consciousness enter the body? How do you know? By the development of the body. That's how it does. <laughs> I don't think so. I think there's something more in the vagina. Right? No, Mark. No, stop. Stop saying the that. Or I will be cutting all of that out. The, in the in in utero. But what do you? Okay, so what these do you, guys are getting in there somehow. So what? And possessing the uh, zygote. Okay, no, come on. I know it's crazy. I know it's crazy, and I know I sound nutty because, but I'm honest. But I mean, this is truly hundreds of millions of people believe things that are even nuttier than that. Well, so. I just believe that that is a possibility. I do. I believe it, and I think that when you're very, very little, I think you can access those memories, and then you can, and then maybe you lose them. But I don't know. I, I, I ghosts. I don't. I, I don't think I've ever seen a ghost, so I don't really believe in ghosts. I don't believe in mediums. I believe in that there's near-death... I do believe that, that your consciousness leaves your body and lives beyond. So, that's my... All right. So, okay. So, Mark, what is your final thought on... I know, I mean, I know that it doesn't... Life does not expand yeah. beyond death. No, I, I don't think it does. And if it does, then, you know, we don't have any good evidence to believe it. Now, a lot of things could be true, but a belief system ought to be supported by sufficient evidence. And what that what sufficient means is going to vary from person to person. Uh, I just don't think there's any good evidence, any reliable evidence, any sufficient evidence to convince me that there is life beyond life. Other than in a very poetic sort of way in that you live in the memory and stories of your loved ones and people you've come in contact with. Yeah, well, and maybe that's the consciousness slipping, being passed on. Well, I mean, I guess in a way, right? Because, you know, then, you know, if, so, it, you know, assuming that I'm not immortal, which is an open question at this point. <laughs> but assuming yeah. I'm not, right? And somehow someone manages to take my head. Okay? My son might pass on some of the stories and stuff and, you know, amazing wisdom that I've communicated to him over the years. Mm-hmm. To other people. And mm-hmm. in that sense, I guess, it, again, it's metaphorical, but you can say, yeah, my consciousness is living on. And, you know, my consciousness created his consciousness. I mean, he has me to thank for that. <laughs> and one other person, I guess. But um, you, you could say it that way, but that's not I mean, really you don't what like we mean. like my theory? I mean, you, yeah, he, you, put the, you put the materials together, but the meta-consciousness that was, that's out there just... I, I mean, into him, and then now he's there, and the, his consciousness knows when it's time. At, no, go. I don't like your theory. At I all. love that theory. I, think <laughs> I mean, I it's very creative, <laughs> but also wildly wrong. <laughs> like completely unsupported by the evidence. Couldn't it be that way, girl? Could, any good girl? It could be anything, right? <laughs> well, this is going to sound obvious, but I think that you believe things the way that you want to believe them. Generally, yeah, it's very hard to give up or to than disbelieve things that you want to believe. Right, like the flat earth people. Yeah, but like when I was a kid, I wanted God to be real, right? I wanted it to be real. And I fought it for a while, and after a while I'm like, dang, that God ain't real, son. He's not real. Mm -hmm. And I just had to accept it. And I didn't want to. You you just gave up faith. No, I have Mm -hmm. faith in lots of things. Mm -hmm. I have faith that the sun's going to come up tomorrow. I have faith that you won't pick up your laptop and beat me about the head and shoulders with it. (laughs) Now, I could be wrong. After that sneer. (laughs) (laughs) I could be wrong. But I also believe, 
I have faith that you value your laptop more than that. <laughs> yes, I do. I do. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. So, um, I guess that's where we leave it. People, yeah. people really. That we when we polled people, they were on the they were really on the fence about uh, kind of. Some people were saying no. Some people were saying yes. So. You know, who wasn't on the fence. Not you, Mark. <laughs> Other people. Lesser people. That's right. And some people were like, nope, not on, not on the fence at all. I totally right. am 100% of a believer. So. Yeah. She, uh, the one of the women who said that I know and has had many very bizarre experiences. So, I'm sure that's you know? totally normal and not. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. Okay, everyone, thank you very much for coming and listening to us. We appreciate it. Um, like I said at the beginning, if you like us, please share us with a friend. Um, Even if you have shuffled off this mortal coil <laughs> oh, and yes, you have especially. friends with still oh, are still around. See, I'm just terrified to see my mother. I, that's why I don't. Yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, but honestly, spirits, if you, is there any way you can like and subscribe? Do it. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>